0: Independence Day The plantation owner in all his glory drives up the long plantation drive beneath the canopy of towering chinese elms billowing with spanish moss two powerful geldings pull the plush family carriage the master at the helm Beside him sits his tall, slender, well-coffed bride, who has never in her life, notwithstanding the crush of childbirth, done a lick of work. In the rear, the master's five daughters, ranging in age from eleven to seventeen. They sprawl across the carriage seats, hot and tired and ornery. They are a spoiled lot, their silly lives entirely irrelevant affairs. They have been just down the road a piece at Ashlawn Plantation celebrating the nation's independence. A splendid affair with over 100 guests. Dancing and sack races pin the tail on the Negro, ride the big, bull Negroes like bouncing Broncos. The sun, high. The day, hot. Everyone a little sunburned and in need of refreshment and a cool bath. Atop the little mountain, they see their splendid white plantation house dead ahead. There will be lemonade and chilled tea on the front veranda. Inside, both tubs will be filled with cool water from the spring. Anything less and heads will roll. Now, the master considers himself a benign owner of Negroes neither too hard nor too soft. Yes, he uses the whip, and yes, he uses the irons, and yes, he has, on occasion, lopped off digits, hands and feet, and even entire limbs, if absolute obedience proves challenging. But he is an educated man, a great believer in truth and liberty. Rarely does he demand of his slaves more than 12-hour days in the field's always offers the Sabbath as a day of rest and reflection, and generally speaking, expects no labor on Independence Day or Christmas. Yes, he buys and sells and breaks up families as easily as civilized men trade hogs and steers and horses, but this is only because he does not view the Negro as a human being, but rather as another beast of burden. "'What is that?' he asks his wife, pointing to something hanging from one of the Chinese elms up near the head of the drive. "'I'm not sure, husband. The sun is low and in my eyes. If I'm not mistaken, it's a man been hung.' "'Oh, no,' says his wife. "'Do you think the overseer had to deal with impertinence on Independence Day?' "'I would hope it would take more than impertinence, wife, to hang a negro.' perhaps obstinance, or or maybe a runaway. Whatever the cause, that is no place to hang a man. The overseer and I will have words over this. Unfortunately, these words will not be possible because it is the overseer, Ben Rollins, a sick, sadistic piece of human excrement who hangs from a low branch of that Chinese elm. Ben beat the Negroes for wiping their brows under the hot sun. He tied their wrists together, threw them on the ground, and dragged them around behind his horse if they dared to look him in the eye or offer an opinion. His cruelty knew no bounds. Well, now he's dead. Whipped raw and then strung up like a side of lamb, his body sways just a bit in the hot evening breeze. The carriage full of white people, their mouths open and jaws down around their knees, pass beneath the overseer and continue on toward the plantation house. No one mutters a word. House slaves stand at their posts on the veranda. Stable slaves wait beside the fountain to help the family out of the carriage and tend to the horses. Garden slaves hoe and weed. Field slaves... Dozens of them, nearly a hundred in all, sweep out of the fields and woods and close in behind the carriage as the master drives the geldings around the fountain and stops at the wide stairway leading to the veranda. Only the master is master no more. His days as master of Little Mountain, as a declarer of independence, are all but over. Over brandy, he may have called the peculiar institution a hideous undertaking, and more than once he claimed possessing slaves was the height of moral depravity. But this was just drawing room gobbledygook. A touch of intellectual rubbish to make himself feel all neat and cozy and superior. In truth, this founder, in his lifetime, bought, sold, and beat well over 600 Negroes. But no matter, for the 142 Negro slaves presently living on Little Mountain, today truly is Independence Day. They pull the master down off the carriage while his women shriek. They push him into the dirt and tear off his fancy white suit and fancy white hat. In his skivvies, with his pasty white skin and flaming orange hair, he looks weak, scrawny, exposed, defenseless. The big buck snaps the whip and gives the ex-master 50 lashes. His thin skin tears open and bleeds with each crack of the whip. They rape the wife first, then the daughters, one by one, oldest to youngest. Any buck who wants to rut is given the opportunity and the pick of the litter. The ex-master, in the meantime, is given additional doses of his own medicine. They chain him in irons, spread eagle on the ground, and lop off with a hatchet, an index finger, a couple toes, then a hand at the wrist, and finally a foot, well up on the ankle. Do unto others, preaches the biggest buck of all, so black he is nearly purple, as you would have them do unto you. They cauterize his stumps with a red-hot branding iron so he will not bleed to death. They hang him next to the overseer, but they do not hang him so that his neck breaks. They hang him low enough in that Chinese elm that his toes just touch the ground, neck stretched to the max. After a lifetime of leisure and hypocrisy, it is important he stay alive for further humiliations those being the ongoing violation against his womenfolk and the torching of his grand plantation house. The slaves set the evil abode ablaze and burn it to the ground, while the ex-master's women, their legs tied open, endure both the heat of the burning house and the heat of those liberated bulls. Yes, There will definitely be hell to pay for these insurrectionists, these rapists, these murderers, these enslaved human beings. But not today. Today, today is Independence Day.